today on Ag News Daily. I think we take water for granted, even when we are aware that it's a, a precious resource. I don't think we really think about how much water goes into every aspect of everything we touch, everything we do every day, you know, everything we eat. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Karnash. And I think I'm through the worst of my hiccups, but in case I have any more on the podcast, I'm just going to mute myself if they come back. Okay, I am forewarned. So if I hear any weird noises, I'll know it's just the hiccups. That's right, exactly. Well, Delaney, you know, I didn't know if I was going to be able to be on the podcast today. I was a little bit nervous because last night, like I said, yesterday, I'm visiting my parents in the Dallas area today. And we almost had ourselves a tornado last night. Honestly, it didn't get that crazy where I'm at specifically, but a couple of miles um, I guess south of us, I would say. I don't even know hardly the directions, but I'm trying to sound smart here. But uh, a little ways away, they did have a wall cloud that was trying to circulate a tornado when it was moving our way. We didn't have to take shelter or anything like that, but we got a ton of rain. Our backyard yesterday was basically just pure water. Oh no, that does not sound very fun. It wasn't fun. I just honestly don't like thunderstorms. They scare the crap out of me. And I've gone through a lot of them kind of living in and around Tornado Alley down here in the South being so close to Oklahoma. We experienced quite a few tornadoes. Our tornado season is pretty crazy, but honestly, it wasn't too bad. Just a ton of rain. Um, Have there been any haboobs yet? (laughs) No, I haven't seen any as of lately, but I'll keep you updated. I'm, I guess I'm just the resident Haboob watcher. So if there there is one, I'll be sure to take some video content so we can share it on our socials. Oh, I just love saying that word. All right. I'm done making fun of you. Uh, Let's dig into some news for today, Ashton. This isn't necessarily weather related, but I suppose we could make it weather related if we wanted to. We got USDA's weekly crop progress reports out yesterday, and we are chugging right along when it comes to getting this crop in the ground. Corn was the biggest uh, jump here. We saw 29 percentage points higher compared to last week. Now, 46% of the nation's corn crop is planted as of Sunday. Sunday and slightly behind last year's pace, but well ahead of the five year average. We saw the biggest jumps in Iowa and Minnesota corn plantings follow closely behind Illinois. And we have seen the sixth fastest planting pace in the past 12 years. And on the soybean side of things, we finished up here with a nice uh, let's see, 16 percentage points ahead of the previous week, now sitting at 24% of the nation's soybean crop planted. Spring wheat, we are 49% complete as of Sunday. And let's see, cotton, I believe we were, where'd my cotton number go? Well, now I feel bad. I'm leaving you out, Ashton. Oh, cotton was 16% complete as of Sunday. So we are chugging right along here. Seems like folks have found some dry weather patches as we saw quite a bit of rain sprinkle throughout the country over the past couple of days here, but we're getting in, we're getting this crop planted. Well, Delaney, I have some interesting, exciting, I guess, news coming from JBS. 
They have created a blockchain platform that allows suppliers of JBS to register their own suppliers. Back in April, beef cattle producers began registering animal sellers on the Transparent Livestock Farming Platform, which is an initiative sponsored by JBS. The goal is for all suppliers to comply with socio-environmental criteria for breeding beef cattle in the Amazon. And to kind of translate that a little bit, the Federal Prosecution Office will use data received from the tool to look for any occurrences of deforestation, hard labor, invasion of indigenous lands, or other non-sustainable practices. We've talked about this a little bit before about how beef producers in South America have been experiencing some issues with deforestation and some not not so sustainable practices. So I guess this is just JBS's way of trying to meet producers and meet consumers kind of in the middle and, you know, both both sides of the story can, you know, get a positive outlook. But the results are sent to the JBS supplier who now gets a more clear view of socio-environmental compliance in the full supply chain. If there are issues, the supplier can create plans to dissolve the risks and assist producers in doing the quote-unquote right thing. EcoTrace created the tool for JBS, but it's an open platform, so anyone in the industry can use the system. And the cool thing about blockchain technology is that it keeps third-party information confidential, and JBS can only see the consolidated analysis of suppliers, so no spreading of sensitive information about the suppliers or anything like that. Right now, signing up is voluntary, but by 2025, any cattle supplier interested in selling to JBS must be registered on the platform. Hmm. So I don't know if this is just for the producers in South America. I might have to look into that a little bit more. That's what I'm assuming since it's talking about breeding beef cattle in the Amazon environment. But some cool things going on there in terms of sustainability and, you know, sharing supplier information and relationships, that kind of stuff. Huh, that is super interesting, Ashton. Super interesting to think that they have to transfer. I mean, that's only a couple of years away. So be interesting to see how that transition process goes for folks. But speaking of the beef industry, CoBank put out their recent quarterly report and are projecting a very optimistic outlook for farming. Noting that agriculture has its quote unquote swagger back. I like that term, but uh specifically. To the beef industry, analyst Will Sawyer reported uh, mid-February's major winter storm and freeze caused a brief slowdown in the beef processing and demand industry, but it was a short-lived slowdown with no negative or long-lasting market implications. And he said that USDA projected beef production could decline by about 3.5% in 2021. And that should be pretty bullish to cattle prices. So I know we're sitting in a little bit of a lull right now. We're just reading something earlier today that uh, producer margins are somewhere floating around $13 right now. So I know it's not a super profitable level to be at, especially when we continue to see corn and soybean prices pushing higher. But long term here, we're expected uh, now by CoBank as well to have a pretty bullish 2021 year here for the protein and more specifically the beef industry. So. Well, Delaney, we haven't talked about CFAP in a little while, 
But I do have a small update to inform you on here. Payments from the expanded CFAP program are continuing to be distributed. I haven't heard of or seen on social media about people talking as much about CFAP now as they were, you know, maybe this time last year. U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat from Minnesota, says to Brownfield Ag News that about $4.5 billion is being used to carry out the mandated $20 per acre flat rate for eligible row crop producers. Following review by the Biden administration, the Consolidated Appropriations Act also included additional CFAP assistance of over $1 billion for cattle producers. Klobuchar was quoted as saying, when I heard about this during the hearing, I pushed for it to include money for dairy farmers, biofuel processors, and livestock and poultry producers who lost animals due to packing plant closures. So although we are seeing the country start to open up, things seem to go seem to be going back to normal when we're seeing, you know, prices for food and inflation kind of going a little bit back down. And hopefully we can see that go to pre-pandemic levels. But CPAP is still rolling on for those who are in need. Yes, it certainly sounds that way, Ashton. So that is uh, great news there. I know PPP money is still flowing as well. But here's an interesting story. I know we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast but it's one that apparently has not really gotten resolved yet. And that are that is the shipping containers that continue to uh, have issue. We have issues finding shipping containers really is what I should be saying here. But I think, Ashton, maybe you brought this story to our listeners' attention some time ago. Essentially, there are shipping containers floating around the world and we're in a shipping container shortage. Um, but this was an interesting article on AgriPulse basically talking about that if you were to fly over the port of Oakland right now outside of California, you'd see a ton of container ships waiting to enter the port, unlike ever seen before. And essentially what's going on here, Ashton, is people are making money. I should say China is making money, sending their shipping containers to the United States, not making a lot of money shipping it back. So China is Playing some power moves, we'll say that uh, they're they're sending U.S. goods here because we saw during the pandemic a huge influx of folks buying more goods, home goods, doing less with traveling. Obviously, that makes sense. The economy was shut down. So we saw people buy a lot more home goods and goods in general. A lot of those were coming from China. So during the pandemic last year, we saw China shipping a lot more products and goods to the United States. And we didn't necessarily see that reciprocated back the other way. So now we're in a little bit of a glut here. And we've seen uh, prices for shipping containers averaging about $5,100 per container heading from China to the U.S. West Coast. But heading back the other way, those drops, those rates are dropping to about $820 per container. So what's going on, essentially, it sounds like here is China is exporting products to the United States, but they are paying even a premium to have shipping containers immediately sent back to China empty, as opposed to in the past, we'd take that container, fill it up with U.S. exports and be able to ship our products back to China. So it sounds like there is a an investigation going on right now by the Federal Maritime Commission. They said they're very frustrated by this situation and agriculture is extremely frustrated by it as well because there are a lot of ag groups 
and ag commodities that are having a hard time getting products shipped out of ports now because China is essentially hogging shipping containers. So I don't know. I thought that was a really interesting story. It's an interesting dynamic to watch play out here. We haven't really seen an impact too much uh, as far as commodity prices go, but I suppose that could always theoretically be a concern is that China has purchased U.S. ag goods and we're unable to ship it because China's hogging all the shipping containers. It's a strange dynamic, Ashton. Yeah, Delaney, I think that that's really interesting. Like you said, essentially, China is hogging these shipping containers. In my head, I'm just kind of thinking of like that one weird kid in elementary school that didn't want to share any of their toys with you. That's a good way to put it, Ashton. I don't know why that that's, you know, what came to my head, but that's exactly what I'm imagining. That's okay. I think that's a good, uh, good image, good visual for that one. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news for today. Are you ready to get into the markets? I certainly am, Ashen. We had some pretty exciting moves once again today. I thought grains were going to sell off, but uh, we were able to follow through today and have some green on the screen. We also had some excitement in the protein markets. I'll get to that here in just a moment. But today, May corn up 12 and a half cents to end at 7.44 and three quarters. The D is up 17 and a half to close at 5.80 and a half. Soybeans higher today with a July contract adding 14 and a quarter cents to close at 1538 and a quarter. The November up fifth, excuse me, 18 and a half cents to close at 1363 and a quarter. Chicago wheat higher today with the July contract adding eight and three quarters cents to close at 7.26 and three quarters. The D's up eight and a half to close at 728 and a half. Now, as I mentioned, there was some excitement early on in the livestock markets, more specifically the lean hog markets. We watched, I watched the June lean hog contract fight its way higher past $113 per hundredweight. And it was able to close above that today. And the weird thing is now, Ashton, uh, you're getting just as much for lean hogs as you are for in the live cattle market. So we saw the June live cattle contract today down $2.27.5 cents to close at one thirteen oh two and a half. The August down $1.72.5 to close at one sixteen sixty two and a half. And in feeders today, we had a limit down moves, not quite with the August contract closing down $3.62.5 to close at $143.17.5. The September down $3.57.5 to close at $145.60. Now, as I mentioned, lean hogs had an interesting day today, clawing their way back towards $113. The June contract closed above $113.90 higher today to end at $113.55. Yes, they closed higher than the June live cattle contract today. July lean hogs closed a dollar thirty-five higher to close at one thirteen forty-two and a half. And wrapping things up with our class three dairy milk futures, the May contract adding three pennies today to close at nineteen oh seven. The June up a penny to close at nineteen eighty. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation talking nano bubble technology for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. It's another Tech Tuesday here, and we are talking to Nick Diner, who is the CEO of Moliere. And I'm really excited to talk about your nano bubble technology, Nick. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So Nick, before we really get started in talking about that nano bubble technology and what facets of the industry you're really working with, tell us a little bit more about you and how you became CEO. So I've been in the water business now about 15 years. Uh, I got into the water industry 
bit by accident when I was working for General Electric. I was moving from business to business within GE and landed at uh, what at the time was called GE Water. GE no longer owns that business. They sold to Suez. But while I was there uh, for about four years, I was involved in a number of different aspects of the GE Water business. But most most of my time was spent uh, doing desalination, um, primarily for power plants, hotels, resorts, and municipalities, providing especially for power, for hotels, resorts, and municipalities, drinking water quality using seawater as a source. Um, I left there in about 2010, moved to Los Angeles with my wife to join a startup in the reverse osmosis membrane uh, field called Nano H2O. Reverse osmosis membranes are filters that separate salt from water, um, uh, primarily used in um, uh, drinking water applications, high purity water applications for certain industries, uh, power plants, and, and whatnot. Um, led the commercial organization for that company until it became part until it was sold in 2014. Became part of LG uh, out of Korea. They wanted to enter the water business, and um, they acquired Nano H2O and uh, have grown that into a very successful leader in the reverse osmosis membrane treatment space. Um, and I stayed with them until about 2016. At which point, I was looking for another startup to get involved with, and met the founders of uh, Moliere. Uh, they had just formed the, the company after filing patents around the, the, this novel technology to inject gas into liquid in the form of a nano-sized bubble. Thought it was interesting, helped them put some money together to get the company started, and I joined to to lead it and help them grow it. And this is about four years ago now. And I think this is super fascinating because you look at the water discussion, you know, obviously we focus specifically on agriculture, but as a whole, I think water continues to be a really important hot button issue for a lot of folks, especially the lack thereof or lack of resources available to uh, capture water. But when you look at Moliere in particular, talk to us a little bit more about what your company does within the ag space. Yeah. And, and it's, you're so right, Delaney, uh, in terms of where you started with that. That question, um, I think we take water for granted, even when we are aware that it's a, a precious resource. I don't think we really think about how much water goes into every aspect of everything we touch, everything we do every day. You know, everything we eat, uh, every manufacturing process typically involves some water uh, aspect to it. And I think we take that for granted. So what we're trying to do as a company, particularly in agriculture, but across all of our industries, is really help our customers improve productivity sustainably. And so what I mean by that is we've dis we've discovered along with you know a few other companies in the space and, and a pretty wide array of researchers in the academic community that nanobubbles provide unique benefits to uh, a variety of what we call aqueous or water-based processes. Now, the largest, one of the largest consumers of water, if not the largest, is agriculture right, for irrigation purposes. And what we're doing there is we're providing our customers who are farmers from a vertical farm and a small facility to an outdoor specialty crop farm growing berries or nuts or whatnot. Um, our technology that they'll, they'll uh, install into their irrigation water uh, treatment process. And we're doing two things. We are more cost effective more cost-effectively than any other technology, increasing dissolved oxygen levels in irrigation water, and putting in these nanobubbles at the same time, which will improve water quality. And so what happens is our customers are able to provide, to provide the roots of their crops, regardless of cultivation method, these higher levels of dissolved oxygen, which improve root mass, root development, and root health, and also be able to reduce the presence of pathogens, 
uh, like Pythium and Phytophthora or biofilm formation on the irrigation lines and equipment and provide a better water quality to the root. The combination of the two allows our customers to grow healthier crops often faster with higher yields or use less water in the process. And that's where that whole increasing productivity becomes so uh, fundamental to to the value proposition of what we're offering and creating in, in the farming irrigation space. So Nick, like I mentioned earlier, you guys are working with quite a few industries and one of those is oil and gas operations. What exactly are you doing in that mm-hmm. space? Yeah, great question. So uh, we're typically focusing on what we call the produced water treatment side. So when oil companies are producing oil, what's coming out of the ground is a fluid. And that fluid is a mix of gas, water, and oil. And after that gas is separated, you got to separate the water and the oil. And then once you separate the oil, you got to do something about water. Our customers are utilizing our technology to lower the cost to treat that water so they can then reuse it for their oil production process. So if you were in West Texas, for example, New Mexico, where fracking is a common big term. Um, the last five years, 10 years, we've heard a lot about fracking. Uh, it's, it's water intensive. And so in the past, um, oil producers, after they separate their own water, would just get rid of the water. And uh, through advancements in technology, not just Moliere, but through uh, ways to treat produced water to be able to reuse it, oil companies have started to embrace the idea of reuse and recycling that produced water. And where nanobubbles come in is we help improve that process. We help lower the cost of that process to make it easier for our customers to reuse that produced water. Okay. I've got kind of a two-part question for you. You keep talking about nanobubbles. Talk to us a little bit more about Mm -hmm. what those are and then dig in for us. How do you actually go about using this technology or what is the technology that I would implement in my agricultural practice? Yeah, great question. So, so nanobubbles are what we consider, as well as the academic community, a whole new class of science. These are bubbles at about 100 nanometers in diameter. It's very hard to conceptualize something that small. Uh, it's about one two thousandth the size of a grain of salt, or one five hundredth the thickness of human hair. So, put 500 bubbles next to each other, that's about as thick as hair. That's how small these bubbles are. You don't see them when they are formed. Uh, you need certain laboratory instruments to be able to detect the presence of these bubbles in water. Why they're interesting. When you want to transfer gas into liquid, the concept of aeration, which is the most common, which is putting air oxygen into water to improve some sort of aerobic biological process, you form a bubble. That bubble starts to rise very rapidly. The speed at which it rises is dictated by its size. The depth in which that bubble is formed is dictated by the, uh, it dictates the distance or time it's going to travel. Best-in-class systems will dissolve, dissolve only 3% of oxygen per foot of water, if oxygen is what you're trying to transfer in, into the water, which is the most common gas being used for these processes. So it's an incredibly inefficient process. You have a 10-foot deep tank, you're going to lose 70% of oxygen to atmosphere. You also can't do anything with this bubble. It rises so fast, it gets to the surface, it pops, it's gone. We, we, we see this you know, every time we open a soda. Um, what we're doing is different. We're dissolving over 85% of that oxygen into water um, per foot of water. So it's an incredibly efficient way to dissolve oxygen in the water. And we're forming this nano-sized bubble at the same time. The bubble lacks the buoyancy to come to the surface and pop. So it actually stays in that body of water, almost like a, like a particle. And now you can use this gas particle to participate in different chemical, physical, and biological reactions, depending on what kind of process improvements you're trying to make in, let's say, the water that you're using for a particular purpose. And it's that unique value that the bubble provides. Oxidation, which is similar to using hydrogen peroxide or bleach for disinfection, 
Um, the bubble will bond to particles of the opposite charge and it'll change the density so you improve flotation. Uh, the bubble is like a hard, it's almost like a hard particle. It'll break apart uh, uh, biofilms that are forming on surfaces. So it's the ability to use those bubbles combined with the ability to dissolve gases highly efficiently, like oxygen and water, that uh, provide our customers this value. So what they actually get from us, to answer your second question, is we have this patent, patented core technology, but now they need a system to be able to use it. So we will install this technology in different flow rates with different features and functionality like pumps and oxygen generators and control systems. So our customers can install it into their application. Okay, gotcha. So quick follow-up then for you. It looks like on your website, mm -hmm. um, looking, I mean, you do a lot of different industries, but when you click on agriculture and horticulture, it looks like this system uses a bunch of generators, some filters, et cetera, but it looks more so like it's specific to greenhouses. Is this technology able to be used in large-scale cropping operations as well, corn, soybeans, cotton, et cetera? It is. It, it's much more dependent on how you irrigate as opposed to the size and, and the type of farm you're operating. Um, most of the pictures on the website still highlight, you know, greenhouse and vertical farms. because That's where we got started in the space. So gotcha. we have over probably about 300 different types of, of what we call horticulture, controlled environmental agriculture customers using our product. We started to move into uh, specialty crops, uh, particularly berries, citrus, avocados, almonds, primarily because they're using drip line irrigation. So when you are drip irrigating, we're able to elevate the oxygen levels in that source water. Could be a, a outdoor storage water pond, it could be a tank, it could be right in line from the from the well pump head going into the drip and we can add the air oxygen nanobubbles into the irrigation water to improve that water quality and bring that elevated levels of oxygen into the roots. So Nick, if somebody does want to reach out to Moliere and see about introducing that technology to their operation. How can they work with you guys to ensure that relationship? Yeah, the best is to reach out to us through our website, uh, Moliere.com, M-O-L-E-A-E-R.com. And one of our um, uh, salespeople, and we have them throughout the United States and internationally as well, will connect We'll be able to connect with the customer, the potential farmer, and then uh, most likely bring in one of our many channel partners to help support the process and ensure they get all the, the support and service they need. Well, Nick, it has certainly been interesting to learn about this nano bubble technology. So thank you so much once again for coming on and talking to us today. Yeah, thanks for including us. Appreciate it. Well, again, a big thank you there to Nick for talking nanobubble technology. That is some pretty interesting stuff, Ashton. And I uh, was trying to picture when he was describing the size of a nanobubble, how little that really was. I know. I think it's absolutely crazy that we're able to take something so small and turn it into some really big, great technology. It certainly is interesting and fascinating. We cover all sorts of fascinating stuff just like that on the Agnes Daily Podcast. I know we've got some great conversations slated coming up later this week. So folks, do stay tuned with us. Find any past episodes you may have missed at agnewsdaily.com or follow along with us on social media at Agnews Daily. And with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.